Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6 today, and I am excited about getting into Luke chapter 6. Uh, in fact, we're going to be doing a part 1 and 2 uh, message series on this particular chapter, and the reason being is because of its size, and number 2, because of the content. Uh, we're going to be observing cha- uh, verses 1 through 19 today. And then next week we will have the finishing of Luke chapter 6, which will have basically two completely different outlooks. And and again, I'm excited about this because we had seen the beginning of the Lord's ministry uh, from the beginning. And in chapter 5, we got to the point to where Jesus had called uh, for his disciples the fishermen and so on and so forth. And then we've seen some of the healings and, and, and the things that he was doing from there. And then so we're, we're going to get into coming up here in chapter 6. We're going to be seeing a lot of instruction. And, and I've really, I tell you, after reading everything once again, after even reading it numerous times over a period of years, reading it once again really changes you. And the Beatitudes is what it's called. We're going to be really getting into the Beatitudes of Christ, the sayings of Christ, the good news, if you will, of what it's being uh, said here in, in chapter 6. And i got to tell you, it's very hard-hitting the things that the Lord speaks about. He, he speaks like no other. And, and He convicts like no other. And so I'm excited again because when you really dig deep into the Word of God... And then when you really dig deep into the words of what Christ spoke here in these parables and in these Beatitudes, it really opens your eyes to certain things. I remember some time back what I decided to do because what I have is I have a red letter edition of the New King James Bible that I read from. And what I did one time was even though I've read the Gospels, I've studied the Gospels, I decided to one day just simply read the words of Christ. Uh, just to read the words of Red. I only wanted to read everything that he was saying. And that alone, that alone was again enough. And, 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 but to, get, to see the whole story here, again, is such a blessing. But um, again, just the words of Christ were, were convicting, they were piercing, they were powerful, they, they were eye-opening. And so we're going to see the things, again, after studying it and then having to teach it, it really opens your eyes to things that you didn't see before. And whether you've been a Christian for a year, or maybe you've been a, a Christian for 20 or 30 years, There is always a continual wake-up. There is always something continually being new shown to us in God's Word. The day day I hear somebody say that I've gotten enough of the Lord and His Word is the day that we're finished. The day that we're done for. It's a continual replenishing that's needed. And I remember telling this to young adults that I taught some years back. That I said the same thing. The day I hear somebody say that I've basically read the Bible and I've had enough of it, you're done for. And so replenishing oneself with what we're going to read has is, is really been such a blessing to myself. And a blessing to be able to not just have to have studied it, but to, to get to teach it too. It really does a number on you when you have to teach it. And so I pray that you will too, that you will experience the things that that are being said. You know, the Bible, as I've said before, is not just meant for a good read. It was meant for something more. It is a life-changing application, historical, uh, prophetic. It It was poetic. It's so much. It is the Word of God 
given to us. And we're going to be looking at the things here today that will hopefully give us a better look of our Lord and Savior and who He who He was, what He did, and what and what He's doing right now as we speak, because He is alive and active. So let's take a look here in, in uh, chapter six in verse uh, one through five. I'm going to start us off, and it says now. It happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? And then he went into the house of God and took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So as we go on to chapter 6, we're going to start to see some of the ministry challenges of Christ. And here was a serious one to the religious leaders. It was the issue of the Sabbath and the activities on the Sabbath. See, the Jews, they had, they had laws, and they had many of them, about 613 of them to follow. But for Sabbath laws, there were about 39 laws which could be found in the Jewish Talmud, which was a book of instructions, and also the book of Jubilees, also known as the Little Genesis. Those were... Two other books that the uh, Jewish people really looked for in the forms of instruction. And Sabbath laws, which turned out to be about 39 of them, were, could be found in, in those particular books. And, and there were many things, many things that they created in rules of what one should not do on the Sabbath. And if you were to observe the rules... Basically, it would show you weren't to do much of anything on that day. Now, there is a pastor that I've learned from over many years uh, who grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. Now, at this point, he's in his yeah, he's in his seventies right now, but he's I remember him speaking of his uh, childhood in this neighborhood. And on the Sabbath, as a child, he took out the trash in the back alley. And the neighborhood kids climbed the wall and were watching him and they started yelling at him that you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you broke the Sabbath, you broke the Sabbath, you're going to hell. And of course, you know, I thought to myself, I'm like, well, it was probably better that he was out there. I mean, I guess if it were me, I could have easily said, well, how do you explain what you just did by climbing the wall? You had to work harder than I did. So we have these outlooks and these laws that were being looked at by doing what he did, by going outside to take the trash out, it was unpermissible. So today, Orthodox Jews will still observe and practice the laws. As God did, though, command the Sabbath to be separate, that day is to be for worship time with him. But the rules they created were on their own accord. And, and, and it was done by trying to prevent breaking the Sabbath day. And that was on their own accord. They were looking at certain things that would probably not be lawful. Like we, we need to be careful of doing this because we don't want to break any of the rules for the Sabbath. Now did God himself implement doing these things or not doing these things? I, no, there was no instruction from God himself. 
on on basically what you should or should not do on the Sabbath. They was set today or on that day for a day of rest with him in worship. So Jesus and the disciples were walking and were hungry, so they took grain heads from a field and they started to rub them together to remove the unedible stuff. And in God's law, farmers were to allow travelers or the poor uh, people to glean the fields that, that were had leftovers in, uh, of the fields. So them eating as they were passing was perfectly fine. It was it was lawful. It was permissible. But the Pharisees watching got on them for rubbing their hands together. It was a form of work, <laughs> and it, it was it was work to be doing that as normal tradition. You would have all your food prepared the day before. But our Lord always referred back to the Word of God for His answers. What he did was he referred back to 1 Samuel chapter 21 when David, King David, ate the showbread on the table that was inside the temple. And what it was is there was 12 loaves, okay, which were consecrated in representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. And after its use, after it was done for the representation, it was eaten by the priests. So David and his men ate it as they were hungry, and they were at that time they were fleeing from King Saul who was trying to kill David. So when Jesus brought that up, you know, it was obviously not a big thing to the Jewish leaders that well King David did that, yet it could have been uh, looked at more seriously what David did actually, more so than what Christ did. No one seemed to question it in regards to David. It, it seemed as not so with the Lord though. See, and what it was that got them angry was Christ proclaiming his deity as our Sabbath. He is our rest and our refuge. And the leaders were so caught up in their tradition that these things that were that he brought up were not going to be seen by them, regardless of the proof of his abilities, which we will see shortly. But again, as joyous as ministry is... It's also hard when, uh, when you're covered in targets. See, our Lord was the perfect bullseye. But yet, they could never shoot an arrow anywhere near him, as much as they tried. So let's continue at verses 6 through 11. And it says, Now it happened on another Sabbath, also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But as they were filled with rage and and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So again, you know, leave it to Luke, the physician, (laughs) to make known the miraculous healings in the synagogue on the Sabbath. That was that was a very bold thing to do, actually. And, and some may think this was a setup as the Pharisees were watching closely uh, to give him a hard time. And again, nothing is hidden from him. He knows the thoughts of all, and he proved it. Healing on the Sabbath, it was a form of work. 
and it was considered like practicing medicine. So in Luke's case, as a medical doctor, it was unlawful to be doing your profession on the Sabbath. Well, for Luke, it would have been labor. But yet for Christ, he simply touched this man and he was made whole. There was no labor. There was no operations. There was no administrating of medication. It was nothing for him. And now I'm sure someone would try to argue that out of apostasy, of course. But if Christ did it, it was the right thing to do. And when there is a wrong day or time to do something good in someone's eyes, then they need to check their heart, which clouds their vision. See, it was more important to protect a religious law more than to help someone in pain. Now, whether they were furious about the healing, that I'm not sure. But if anything, they were more so on him calling them out. That was where they really got furious. If we could be honest with ourselves... If ever there was a time someone exposed our thoughts, or our hearts, or our motives, it didn't always feel good. Especially in the days when we were more prideful, right? In our, in our old days, if, we're, if we've gotten over that, Lord willing. And no one likes to be put in their place. Even when they're wrong, it's amazing to see how people who committed horrific crimes... How they would act even when they were called out on their actions. The ever so famous don't judge me. (laughs) And even to the point where these religious leaders were plotting in breaking one of God's laws, which would be murder. As they were looking to what they were going to do to the Lord. See, when hatred and zeal for something are combined, it could be a recipe for disaster. But their hatred for Christ and zeal for the law caused them to be willing to break a law of God's which they would have uh, that which they would have had to enforce by stoning someone who committed the crime that was their way of capital punishment but yet they couldn't see their own hearts the lord would have gladly healed one of them if needed of healing they just didn't see that in him but we will see that some did as we start to switch gears a little bit in verses 12 through 15. And it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he'd also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Luke continues to make known the Lord's prayer life, which already he's mentioned a handful of times. You know, as, as we're in only chapter 6, he, he's already mentioned the amount of times that the Lord has been spending in prayer. Luke didn't, Luke didn't uh, leave that part out. He was always making known some of the miraculous healings, but he also made known the importance of our Lord's prayer life. And at this point, as he was doing so as he was going to choose his disciples. And, and the Lord always gave that example of the importance of prayer. As he was doing this, it was right before the choosing of the twelve. 
which were basically his chosen circle. You know, Christ had many followers, but there were twelve appointed and raised twelve anointed, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. But again, there were twelve ordinary men from miscellaneous backgrounds. You know, some had very little info about them in the Bible, but their service to the Lord is not forgotten by him. He chose them and did after that night of prayer. See, the choosing of those you serve with is vital in prayer. Most want to be with those who are like-minded with one another, when we should be like-minded with Christ. See, going to a church where those in leadership have served together for a good while, and if you observe their backgrounds... Even those in the church leadership have different careers and skills, which actually made up their ability to be uh, an effective in ministry. And these were fishermen. Okay, there one was a tax collector. Luke was a doctor. Uh, one was a bean counter, which was an ancient form of an, an accountant. You know, Judas Iscariot was considered their treasurer. He was handling all the money. But all that that he chose were like anyone else working class of all sorts who lived daily normal lives until this day it all changed see this is an encouragement to not let our backgrounds hold us back from being used in God's work like the church all is needed and all is used for something and all is blessed when chosen by the Lord see never in a million years would I have seen myself being in ministry yet alone teaching the Bible. But many, many from the pits have been chosen to be salt and light. And we can, you know, we can look at at Noah and his ark. And Noah has never built a boat in his life. Okay? No one's ever even seen rain until the flood. All Noah did was was follow God's blueprint and his instruction. And by that, he and his family were the only survivors on earth. And, and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. As we will continue to see in verse 17. But again, Noah was a perfect example of one who has never done something before. Never built a boat which took 120 years. Because of the size of this thing. But yet, what he did was he allowed God to speak to him. And give him the instructions, the dimensions, the wood. He he listened to him to a T to everything that was done. And by that, Noah had built the first boat on earth. And in fact, it's, uh, it's the one thing that again saved him. And it, and it lasted for quite some time. And that was quite impressive. And why? Because all Noah did was was uh, display obedience. And if we could observe now what Jesus is going to do, right now, verses through 17 and 19, we're going to see his heart through the matter. We're going to see his heart through the matter of everything he had to go through. And now but he's going to continue in his healing. And it says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. 
And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power, went out of him and healed them all. You know, at this time, the Lord had become known all over, even to the Gentile regions of Tyre and Sidon, which is in the country of Lebanon to the north. Uh, People were actually traveling to see the Lord. Now, a while back, we read about the leper he healed in chapter 5 on how this leper cried out to the Lord, saying that if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him, and after that he was made completely normal. And this was, again, a disease that was incurable. It was a death sentence to anybody who received it. But now people were gathering to him to touch him. Interesting. In Mark, in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 30, there was a woman who had a flow of blood for, uh, for years. She had an ongoing menstrual cycle that wasn't stopping, unfortunately, and which made her ceremonially unclean. Nobody could touch her. And, and seen him, she seen him in a crowd, and she said to herself, if, if I can only touch him, I know I will be healed. And as she touched him, power left him, and he asked out loud, he said, who touched me? And she kept silent. But see, he knew who touched her, you know, who who touched him, and, and said, hey, daughter, be of good cheer, you were healed. Couldn't imagine walking through somewhere, somewhere busy. Can you imagine maybe Manhattan, New York City, or busy streets in London where numerous people, or walking around. You know somebody's touching somebody when you're rubbing shoulders. But Christ knew exactly who touched him. And what was the deal here? Their, the commonality was in their faith. They believed in what he could do. And by simply touching him, it was done right then and there. Now, the question of where were they after the healing, well, that we're not sure. But they did get to experience the Lord. See, the amazing thing that happens is people seek the Lord for a help of sorts or or to see an event of miracles. It's amazing how people want the power of the Lord, but but they can do without the relationship. People who came to touch him, they knew of him, but never really knew him. And that's where the true power comes from. Many people have read the Bible And many people know what it says. But when you have no connection to the author, you can see only so much. Many can see a light from a distance, but you can never know light until you've been connected to the source. See, I'm no expert on electricity. But I know you can flip a switch and in a quick second you have light. But if there's something else I know, the wire must be connected to the source. And if you want true power, you must be connected to the true source. See, a lot of people may have come just to get their fill of the Lord and then return to whatever is normal to them. But he gladly gave them what they needed. But why not have access at any time to the Savior, the healer and the Redeemer? See, many have said, well, he's never done anything for me. Well, first and foremost, he did. He died for the world's sins, and that whoever should believe in him would have everlasting life. Now, a question that I would ask if, if that was said is, 
if do you belong to him? Well, he's never done anything for me has been the question for many people. Do you actually belong to him? See, he receives anyone who wants him. And everyone who comes to him is almost like the excitement of having a firstborn child. See, the Bible says that when somebody gives their heart to the Lord, that all of heaven rejoices when somebody repents. All of heaven rejoices just by just one. And what a neat thing to imagine that when one person has received the Lord, that the singing just gets a little louder up there. And there's constant singing up there according to the Bible. So it was always at the end of every chapter, whether the chapter was pleasant, whether the chapter might be harsh, (laughs) the good, the bad, or the ugly, see, which is the Bible is truthful, it gives everything. After every chapter, after every story, the option and the ability to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior will be given. But through the good and the bad, the question is, is will we continue to walk by Him and, and, and to live through Him? So I want to give the opportunity, as we've read the things that He did, as we read the things that He said and taught, how could we not want that in our lives? How could we not want to spend an eternity with our Lord after everything we've seen and heard? See, the excitement again, as I mentioned, about like a firstborn. He told his disciples at one point, he says, where I am going, what he meant by he- in heaven, he said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you. And what that expressed was there was many dwelling places in heaven. And what he said was is almost like a proud father who is preparing a bedroom for their newborn child to come home to when they're coming home from the hospital. A lot of the, a lot of the boys get their uh, rooms painted blue, and some of the girls have pink decor. Whatever the case may be, when a child, when a father knows whether they're having a son or a daughter, they're preparing that dwelling place, and that's what our Lord's doing, and that's what He's about to do. Do you want Him? Do you want to receive Him? Well, it could be done through a simple prayer of truth and an acceptance of Him into your heart as he wants you it don't matter what you've done or where you've been he wants to make you whole and cleanse you of all things and I I will say it's the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life and you will not I will not guarantee a life of ease and, and a life of simplicity because whether we have them or not that just doesn't work that way but he is an advocate that's watching over. And I could easily say that now he can say that you are mine. And he will take care of you. But more importantly, it's about his, his existence with us eternally and our existence with him eternally. 
If you want to receive him now, say this prayer with me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord, of all of my sins. I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I ask, Lord, for you to cleanse me of all of my sins. And Lord, I ask that you would receive me into your kingdom when my time is up. As Lord, as I receive you as my Father, my Lord, and my Savior. And I ask, Lord, for you to make me new, Lord. And I ask for you to come into my heart, Lord, as I receive you as my Lord and my Father. I want to thank you for dying for me, Lord. And Lord, I love you and I praise you. And I receive you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as always, I pray that you have said that prayer in truth. And that you will receive him and walk with him at all times. So may you always be seeking him. See, he's been watching you and waiting for you. And so I want to invite you to continue to follow along. And may you hold on to his hand and may you walk closely with him at all times. And don't let go. May God bless you.